in the end, no matter what, no matter what I was going through at the time, I still had to put in the work. No matter who you are, what you've gone through, life will not give you a pass. That's been the biggest thing that I've really come to that realization and just standing up and saying, look, it is hard, it is rough, and some parts of it are just not fun. But as you know, you gotta sit down and ask yourself, is it worth it? What's up, Hot Breath of Verse? This is your favorite host, Joel Byers, and you know what time it is. Hot breath. <sighs> Welcome to Hot Breath episode 107, all my hot brethren and sisterin. This is a great episode today. I am obsessed with design now more than ever, and my guest today is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite graphic designers, illustrators. He also does branding. I stumbled across him. On Instagram, he's based out of here in Atlanta. I've done some interviews at Switchyards. I knew he made the sign for that. And I saw him and was like, yo, man, I got to get you on the podcast. He's like, yeah, of course. And this, we dive headfirst into just the importance of just even the font of your design and the impact it can have. So if you find this one valuable, please go follow him at the Studio Temporary. Check me out at Joel Byers Comedy. But most importantly... Just share it. If you find this valuable, if you learned anything in this hot breath episode, definitely tag a friend. Spread the knowledge. That's what this is all about here. And with your help, we can continue to grow this community. The numbers have been growing. Thank you guys so much. Like every week, we're getting more and more listeners on that first day. I always look on that Monday release at the end of the day, how we doing? And that continues to grow. So thank you for your support. And if you haven't shared... Take the opportunity in this one to share. It really does make a difference, and it feels good. So, that being said, let's hop in. And there's only one thing left to do. And that is inhale a hot breath. With Scott Fuller. Twelve months or so since I when I started, when, uh, when I moved in here. Uh-huh. This wall, the only thing it had up there was was this, which has been on the wall of every single place that I've worked since I've got it. That's since so I got cool. it about um about five years ago, five and a half years ago. But um, you know, not that long ago this wall's just completely white. So I finally came in on a Saturday and I'm like, look, I gotta do something. So I brought my little boy in and it became like it's it's almost like my uh, uh I don't know, it's like my uh, the stuff that I got done just went mm. up by a hundredfold so it's it's nice i can sit back lean back and you know look to the left look to the right look straight ahead and, and just look at all this cool stuff i mean you've got everything from victoria to you know to world's fair stuff to uh nasa posters to you know gig posters everything from you know bluegrass the bat brothers to i mean it's it's all over the place u.s and mail I, yeah it's crazy i like the i love the variety Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of variety within this kind of era and, you know, thought process of design. And 
for me, that's that's one of the reasons I like, you know, I even get up in the morning. Just I, I really enjoy I enjoy the variety and I enjoy how I, I enjoy looking back and seeing, you know, you grab something like the old Atlanta Flames logo. <laughs> Still one of my favorite logos of all time. Why you know, this, why is it? I mean, get it. I mean, it's just, it's simple. It's to the point. It's still, you know, this is meant to be on, you know, on the big, big, big on the front of a old hockey uniform. Uh-huh. Remember seeing that on center ice? <laughs> you know, the caps and everything like that. I mean, it is, it is Atlanta. It is bold. It is red. It is. The cool thing is the same guy who did this. There's a bumper sticker right there. This grab that. The Hawks. The same guy who designed the original Hawks logo. Also designed this. Oh, that was the dude. first his first job when he got to um at, at his first agency job. His first job was to create a logo for the Hawks, and then he did so well with that they had him create the logo for the, the hockey team as well. <laughs> so for those of you um, listening, uh, was the the Flames, and then we had the Knights for a while, mm-hmm. and the Thrashers, and then of course now they're up in Winnipeg. So <laughs> you know, and wow, a lot of. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can just look anywhere and find inspiration. But you've been here. We're at Switchyards. You've been here kind of since the beginning, haven't you? I've been you? here since the beginning. Uh, I moved in, um, I think, January 4th of last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been involved with the project since with Switchyards since about October of 2015. Um, I came down here for a tour. A buddy of mine was working on the interior of the place, and he said, you, you would probably like this place. Now, when I came, there were holes in, big holes in the floor downstairs. Whoa. There were... You know, we had to wear safety helmet, you know, safety hats, hard hats, the whole shebang. And um, so I'm like, you have to look really deep to kind of find what this thing's really going to be. Kind of the soul of the place. And um, Tavani and I got to, Michael Tavani and Dave Payne, the kind of the co-founders. And Mike and I got to talking and he said, you know what, uh, would you be interested in designing the kind of the identity for the place? So the sign on the just front a small of, task. Well, the sign on the front of the building is my uh-huh. design. Yeah. So and then um, the new logo, and then I designed a logo for it. And, and we like to play around with, but like kind of the official kind of logo is that I designed that about a year and a half ago, and um, that was that was pretty nuts. And now for the first time, it, it they've had it for a year and a half or more, and the f- it's the first time it's ever been anywhere in any type of permanence at Switchyards. Was the mural downstairs, the table tennis mural? It's finally down there. Yeah. <laughs> so that for me, I mean, getting to do that and getting to design the type and, you know, getting to do the whole thing. I mean, going to Home Depot and pick out the colors instead of looking in a Pantone book, that was kind of a big, that was a big change. But to do all that and kind of get in on the nitty gritty of that was great. And then to see that, that logo finally be in there, that was really, really cool for me. So, um, you know, what's it like to see your work on the outside of a building, like as the identity of it? There's no, there's, there's no better feeling. A lot of times the designer, and for me especially, I don't do any web at all. Mm-hmm. No, no web design, no websites, no UI, UX, um, none of that stuff. You know, now I'm not going to go out there and say I'm this, you know, handcrafted, hand-drawn, whatever, because I love my computer and I know, now granted I do start analog, but I always, but I know I love the tools, I love the phone, I love the computer, I love the Illustrator, I love Photoshop, all those different things. Well, Photoshop, I've got a little bit of a love-hate relationship, with, <laughs> but that's another, that's for another podcast. But, so, but I feel like I have kind of a sensibility about it. I just, there's some, there's things that will work from one era to another 
even through all the craziness, it always comes back to almost the basics mm. for me. Um, and for me, that, that, that's what it works. But to be able to see that, you know, on a building, you know, painted there for, you know, for forever. Did you cry? Uh, hmm? Did you cry? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember standing out there the first night. Uh, uh, I got to go up on the chair. I got to go up on the cherry picker with, uh, with Adam uh, McNeil, who painted, who painted the thing. I don't like heights, but I braved it to go up there. And it wasn't that high, but those cherry pickers on an angle especially are really, really wobbly. So that wasn't fun. But I got to go up there, and then he actually finished the paint, or finished the sign um, about halfway through the first official meeting here at Switchyards for all the the uh, the original guys. And we walked outside and saw it, and it was just the most beautiful thing. <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. you know. It's got to feel good also to be doing the – the ping pong, the first, the only subterranean ping pong is what they call it here. But that was that was great. <laughs> I love uh, TJ and Mike and all those guys. They have uh, the way with words are really interesting, and uh, they come up with some really really great stuff. And then they did that. They came up with a concept and said, you know, what do you think of this? And you know, I got to take the concept and just kind of just kind of go with it. Mm-hmm. And you know kind of fix things here and there and, you know, arrange and move and color and whatnot. Um, sounds like I'm back in kindergarten, but that's literally what it feels like a lot of times, you know, <laughs> but, you know, but in a good way, it's like, it's, it's time to color and it's time to paint and it's time to do all that. And I'm just sitting there going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm 32 years old and I still love this stuff and I always will. But, and you even were a ping pong player yeah, as a kid, right? At one point. Yeah. You were like I, legit. Uh, two silver medals at the AAU Junior Olympics back in 2000, uh, 2003. Um, yeah, I used to play six days a week, four or five hours a day. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, it was it was real. You were it training. Was, yeah, I was. Wow. I was. Um, I had two coaches. I uh, had practice partners. I, I mean, I played tournaments. I traveled around the southeast playing. So it was great. It was great. You know, I, the tournaments were fun and everything, but I enjoyed, I enjoyed just putting in the work. I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed the training. Um, this was fun. Um, my coach, one of my initial coaches was a uh, Korean. He was a former member of the Korean national team. Mm-hmm. So this guy was insane, <laughs> but, uh, I had him as my coach for two years. And, um, one of the places that we play, and it's closed down now, but there was a Korean community center in Duluth, right up there, maybe about three or four miles away from like H Mart up there. So what I would play there every Friday and every Saturday. Um, Friday night, we'd go up there and play and, and train and whatnot. And then after we got done, Kim and I would go to H Mart for Korean food. You know, it was amazing. And then Saturday nights was great. So Saturday was my crazy day. So I had a two-hour training session with my coach that morning, I went, and then I'd go eat lunch. From 2 to 6, I would play at Cohen Park, just off Memorial Drive. And then I'd leave from there, and then from 7 till whenever, I would play at the Korean Center. And on Saturday nights, the players' wives would bring in food from the Korean market, so we'd mm-hmm. just sit around. There'd be like 15 of us. We'd just sit around a big old circle, each the bowl of rice, chopsticks, and we'd just go to town. And um, that surprised them a lot. I mean, I love that stuff. Yeah. I absolutely love it. My wife's uh, my wife's half Japanese, so nice. I um, but I've been a, I've been a fan of that like even before even before I met her. But um, the cra- here was the crazy part. So, um, 
you know, I paid my dues, you know, to, to be able to play down there. I was the only, I was the only American. Um, <clears throat> and um, then the, I'd been there for a year and a half, almost two years. And uh, the president of the club came in and basically said that I had to get out. That I was, you know, it was a Korean, it was like a members only kind of thing. Mm. And so he didn't speak a lick of English. So my coach was actually translating for me. You know, he would he would say something, and Kim would translate to me, and then I tell him what to say back. If you've seen that "I Love Lucy" episode where she gets caught for counterfeiting in Paris, it's kind of like that, except not as many not as many participants. So basically, everybody he said you have to go, and then all of a sudden, here come all the players, you know, just chittering away at him. Oh no, oh no, 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 you know, like defending me, which is really cool. And I told the guy, I said, "Look, I've been paying. You know, it's not like I've just been coming here for free." So finally, I'm like, "Look, just let me become a member." So I became the first ever American member of the Korean community center in Duluth. (laughs) So all this stuff, all this stuff through table tennis, which is really cool. And then, you know, it gets to the point where once again, your design takes over your thought on that. And it's like, look, you know, I play with the big boys, uh, you know, their, their equipment, their, the blades or rubbers and everything like that. I play with all that, but I always hated their shirts. Always Mm -hmm. couldn't stand them. So finally, I said, look, I'll just make my own. So that uh, Traject Table Tennis was born. Yeah. Um, I haven't had a chance to do a lot with it in the last year. I've just been too busy. But um, I've got a couple, couple of things on the way with this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kick this thing back off in a big way mm-hmm. starting probably uh, January of next year. So we'll see what happens. And are you playing all this table tennis while working at your dad's machine shop? Mm-hmm. Um, when, I was, when I was in college, I would come home and work, work for him. And um, on, what is it, on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, I would come in earlier, and then I would leave. Um, and then I'd leave about 4, 4.30. Mm-hmm. And then I'd end up playing, you know, four hours from about 6 to 10 in the evenings um, most of those days. But he had you at like 8 in the shop, right? Yeah. Like you worked at it as like a kid all the way up. This is something you've yeah, been submersed so, in. Yeah. I mean, it started out as just, you know, fun, like, you know, Hey, I get dropped off my dad's house at, you know, my dad's shop after school, mm-hmm. be there for an hour and a half. I do my homework or something. And then, you know, what am I going to do? You well, know, here's a little, little drill, little, um, you know, you know, a little tabletop, uh, you know, mill or whatnot. So let's, uh, um, you know, there's something I can do. They pay me a nickel apart or something like that. So I had a decent amount of money as a kid, which is kind of cool. You know, from there I went to work at Chick-fil-A. I worked there for three years until finally I just, I'd had enough. And dad's like, look, I'll pay you more. You actually get the hours you want. So my senior year of high school, I stopped, you know, I, I tried like a half and half kind of thing. And then my freshman year of college, I finally was like, look, you know, when I'm home, you know, home in the summer, home in the winter, work the show. And uh, I worked with dad for really pretty much the whole time I was in college, mm-hmm. full time. What, and did you go to college for design? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did. Um, ironically, my, um, my initial major, which I had actually applied and been accepted for, was mechanical engineering. Hmm. So um, I graduated from high school when I was 16, and I was going to head straight into – and I headed straight to college – but I went there to take a look at it one more time because I got a scholarship there and everything, and I just wanted to be sure. I had taken an art class my last semester of school. Went up there and, you know, supposedly to check out the, you know, the mechanical engineering, but I spent the whole time in the design and art department. 
And uh, I came home and I was like, no, this is what, it, this is it. Mm-hmm. Now at the time it was more fine arts, you know, pen, pencil, that type of stuff, you know, painting and whatnot. And, um, you know, I still, at this point, I've been doing design most of my life, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was called. I didn't know about these, you know, these legends of design. I didn't know about trends and fads and, you know, all this kind of crazy, uh, postmodernism, whatever. I didn't know about any of this type of stuff. My, what is it? My junior year, I got to go to the Howe conference here in town. Um, super expensive, even as a student. But like I said, I'd been working with my dad and I was doing pretty well. So I went, the first person that I met was a man by the name of Steph Geisbuehler. And Steph Geisbuehler designed the NBC logo back in the 70s. Whoa. So, you know, I get to see this guy and I realize, you know, there's something to this. He was the old school guy there. I think he was 60 at the time, you know, and had been doing this for, you know, 40 years or whatnot. So I'm looking at this and, you know, he's put up there and like his, his talk was really well attended, but not nearly as much as some of the bigger folks, you know, perceived that way. But this guy really spoke to me and I realized there's something to this, you know, there's a way to almost incorporate the, the way that I worked in my dad's shop and, um, you know, just the way this guy thinks about design. Um, there's something there. So I got to talk to him afterwards, one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And we still keep in touch. He was my first mentor. Hmm. So, um, I mean, he's in books that I have, that I have up here. He is in, in these books, you know, (laughs) and it's, it's wild seeing this and realizing like, I know this person or I know that person, you know, I mean, I, I'm not saying like I'm invited to like birthday parties and stuff like that, but you know, if I shoot him an email or a text or something, they answer and they know who I am, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's so weird getting to meet these people and realizing, you know, as a, as a student, you know, it's, you know, wow, I get to meet this person. I got to meet that person. And I'm still in awe just of the work of a lot of these folks. I'm the, I'm a big fanboy of design, but, you know, being able to look at them and say, you know, these are, these are normal people, but they, they did, they got to do something that they love. They get to make a living at it. And they changed the way people thought about the corporate identity illustration, they changed this stuff and really set a lot of the ground rules and standards to to build from. You know, so that was my bit. I wanted to I wanted to learn, I wanted to master the basics. You know, give me shapes, give me form. I want to be able to do that. And I'll never master it, but I'll keep but I'll keep trying. But to now to be able to work in multiple styles and whatnot, but it's all based on that concept of these basic building blocks. And these are the people that I learned it from. How did the college affect then your, you get to do it full time now, but mm-hmm. was that always the case when you graduated? Oh God, no. Um, when I graduated school, um, I did an internship at a local Atlanta agency. And then uh, 2000, it was 2008, which wasn't a good year for anybody. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they were originally thinking about keeping me on and then they had a bunch of stuff happen and that didn't happen. And I got, I had, I was getting married two months later. So when we got married, I was actually working at another machine shop. My dad had gone to work full time at uh, it hit him pretty bad. So he'd gone to work full time at one of his uh, one of his customers. For one of his customers, he was uh, running the machine shop there, but he was running the student the the shop just kind of part time. But there wasn't enough to keep me there full time. So I was doing the worst, nastiest job. 
at um at this um machine shop there in um in Tyrone. It was horrible. It was just Why? It was nuts. So I was the I was the materials guy. So that means I was basically working on a massive saw all day long, chips everywhere, loading stuff, unloading stuff. I'm getting cut to pieces. I mean, it is just it's not fun. It you know, just really, really, really hard and like manual kind of stuff, which I've done most of my life. So I'm not I'm not saying, oh my gosh, I had to get up and work actually work a manual job. I, I get that. I'm part and then I have no issues with that. But it still sucked. Right. You know? <laughs> so I got laid off from there. And for a year and a half, I mean, I, I couldn't find anything, just nothing. I'm trying to give away design work just to just so I can do it. That didn't work. You know, the whole time hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to meet people and do all these things and at the same time trying to find work and support a family. And it's just those first two years were horrible. So I ended up in um, working at an Apple store and not even a real one. It was a third party place <laughs> called Peach Mac in the Peachtree City. <laughs> After three months there, um, you know, and I uh, set a lot of sales records, which was pretty cool. It was a young company. So that was that was a lot. Of, there was a lot of opportunity for that. And I enjoyed that, and I would use design as, uh, you know, kind of a sales, not necessarily sales tactic, but I could say, you want to know how much power? I got to do this, this, and this, and I did that and no problem with, you know. Uh So I kind of, I still got to hold on to it a little bit. I sold the computer to the right guy, happened to be a guy by the name of Bob Pope, and he ran a place in Conley, Georgia, just just off Memorial Drive called... um, off a trucker's row called uh, Global Parts Incorporated. Trucking, not a trucking company, but it was all um, just parts and labor and all kind of fun stuff. And uh, he actually, uh, I sold a computer to him. And he said, uh, do you do freelance? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I do freelance work. You know, He's got to be wondering at this point how good I am if I'm working in an Apple store. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he said, well, come up and, and talk to me. I might have some stuff for you. Okay, fine. So I take like a half day and I'm going to go up there and talk to him. I drive up there and we chit chat for a few minutes. And then he says, well, actually, I don't have any freelance work for you. <laughs> you made me drive all the way up here. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to tell me this. <laughs> so I'm like, this is going to go fantastic. But he said, no, 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 you don't understand. He said, uh, I don't want you freelance. I want you full time to run, to be the in-house designer. So I was the director of in-house design in a massive, um, at a really, really cool company, big company, with the, uh, you know, that in-house team consisting solely of myself. So I did everything from rebranding their company to catalogs to signage. to I mean, I touched every single thing. I, I went back. This was back in 2011. That's so six and a half years ago. I mm. go back now. They're still using everything that I designed. The same way that I did it, they're still using it. And for me, that was the idea. I wanted to make something because, you know, while trucking logos and stuff are really, really beautiful, a lot of times you look at catalogs, you look at stores, you look at all these different things, not exactly places known for great design. Mm -hmm. So my idea was I wanted to come in there and build something that even when I was gone, because I knew I would would be gone one day, you know, the idea was when I left – it would be, I'd have systems in place so simple that they'd be able to do it, and they still are, you know, even four and a half years now after I've left. And while you're working there, are you, like, Studio Temporary is your brand, is your So business. I actually founded the idea of the Studio Temporary while I was working at Global Parts. Cool. So at that time, I'm living in Noonan. Um, 
I um I get closer to this thing. <laughs> you can hold it too if you want. If that'd be easier for I you, I might do that. Yeah, go ahead. Doing okay, great. Back. So the idea was, um, sorry. So I'm in downtown Newton at the time. We're living in the lofts over there, and um, I was working on a sign, a, a logo, menu, and everything for this local restaurant. This old school sign shop in town. Now, if in most small towns, especially in the south, if um, you drive when you drive in down Main Street, like into town, you'll see houses along both sides of the road, and about half of them are businesses which is really cool. So this guy had a little house there and everything, cool little house. And um, I got to go in there and, and and work on the sign with him. Super, super nice guy. Well, somehow we got to talking about design and we got to talking about this and that. And I, I asked him this really weird question. I'm like, what would you say if letting me use your workshop back here to work while you're not here? Great question to ask somebody you've just met. Right. right. <laughs> so anyway, so I went in there a couple more times to uh, to talk with him and work on the sign and everything. We got to know each other. And he, the last time I was there, he gave me a key and said, I leave at five, I get in at five. He said, so anytime between five and five, it's yours. Mm-hmm. You know, here's the key. You come in the back door, you use just the workshop. You know, here's the Wi-Fi. Here's, you know, hot, cold, you know. Make sure you turn everything off, blah, 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 blah. For a year and a half, I did that, and he never charged me a single penny. Hmm. Just a super nice guy. So my first night there, I said, I've got to call this place something. You know, when he's here, you know, it was PSS Signs. When I'm there, what, I'm, what, what is it? What is this thing going to be? So I called, as a joke, I called it the Studio Temporary. Well, a couple months later... Um, I was reading a, uh, I was reading an interview by one of my, uh, one of my favorite designers. Um, his name's Alan Fletcher. who's one of the founding partners of Pentagram. Um, and they've been around for 40 plus years. He passed away in 2008, but I, one of his last interviews, he was asked, what is the most, he was asked, you know, Mr. Fletcher, what is the most important tool in your studio? And he said, it's my head, <laughs> which seems just basic. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know what? You know, it's not, oh, well, what a, a pencil is great. But if you don't have paper, what's a pencil? You know, you can't write it in a hand with a pencil, so you got to say pen because that way you can write on everything. You know, what are you going to say? But he was right. So I'm like, well, wait a second. You know, I started this studio temporary thing as a joke. Just, you know, haha, whatever. But then I can, I started thinking about it a little bit more, and I came up with our tagline, my tagline, which was good design wherever I happen to be. Mm-hmm. So it's now been five years since I came up with the concept, and, you know. It's the logo right there. Here it is. And when you're building an idea like that, do when does the logo come along? Like, how do you? Well, with I'm working on, I think, about four or five logo projects right now, uh-huh. concurrently. So, you know, sitting down and be able to talk to the folks to really understand who they are, what they're trying to do, you know, why they're doing what they're trying to, you know, the, you know, who, what, when, why, mm-hmm. how, whichever, that type of deal. You know, you get to know them first. There's a lot of writing. There's a lot of lists and word lists and everything. And everybody does it different. This is just how I do it. Once I have all that and once we've decided, you know, this is who the company is and this is the direction they want to go you know, as far as their brand. Now I have to figure out how to convey that visually. 
And so from that point, it goes into sketching and sketching and sketching and sketching and then go from there. But you can't start that until you have at least some basic information about the company, about the people, about the products, about who their competitors are, about where they're looking to, sorry, <laughs> about where they're looking to make their, uh, kind of make their name. Mm-hmm. Once you have all that, then you, then you just jump right in. So in building your own company, are you working at the trucking place all day and then at the studio temporary all night? Basically. That's how you balance the kind of your job and then your passion, which a lot of people are trying to do. Well, here's the crazy thing. You know, I've, you know, I've, I've worked at most of my career has been, you know, my professional or corporate career, I guess, mm-hmm. has been in-house. So you kind of know what you're getting into, what you're getting into in the day. And while that's fine and dandy and, and you know that I like going home and working on a bunch of different things. I don't have one industry that I work in. I don't have an industry that I prefer to work in. You know, I mean, I've, I've worked on all kinds of stuff and I love that. And I'm working on, you know, a few new things right now that I've never even heard of or touched before, but I can't wait to find out about it. But, you know, people talk about, you know, I'm at their job and, you know, they're trying to change this and change that. And even though that's not something that they are supposed to do and it's only going to make them make it worse for them. Here was my take on the whole thing was when I walk in that door of wherever I was working, I'm an employee of that place. Mm-hmm. It's my job to to do my job, show up, do my job on time, you know, exceed expectations and whatnot. But when I walk out that door, I'm the studio temporary. And that is where my focus lies. So it's so funny. You can go to work, you know, you can do your eight to five, come home, you're tired, you're you're pissed, you're, you're stressed, you're all this kind of stuff. But, and that's just a normal job. Mm-hmm. But then you go home and you work from say, I don't know, 11 to four in the morning and you got to get up three hours later, but you feel great after you've done that. So that was able to finance a lot of what I was trying to do, you know, and to build up, you know, build up kind of a nest egg or whatnot for me to be able to, to step out because for me to run my own thing, was always, um, you know, that was always the goal. Mm-hmm. But I never knew when it was going to happen. So the idea was, look, I'll just continue to be available and continue to be available when I'm outside of this, outside of work. Um, I always did working lunches. You know, uh, I went to we all went to lunch as a team on Friday, but Monday through Thursday, I never went to lunch with anybody. That was a working lunch. So I would go out to the car. I might take a nap for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, depending on how late I worked the night before. And then for the next 40, 45 minutes, I would take calls. I would take meetings. I would, uh, you know, work on this or that. And then I'd go back and do my, you know, do my, my real job, (laughs) you know, at the time. So there's always some way to figure out, you know, how you're going to make it work. And it's different for everybody else, but that's just how it worked out for me. And now that you are working for yourself, it can be difficult, and I'm, I'm learning this as well, it can be difficult to, when you, sh- when you have a job to show up to, you're like, okay, I know I'm doing this and this and this today. Mm-hmm. Like I, you kind of know what to expect in the day. There's a certainty to it. Yeah, how is, as an, as an entrepreneur, how do you almost maybe design your days to make them as productive as possible? So, you know, I do have my my bed in the morning. I'll come in and I might grab a, I grab a coffee or something, or 
you know, I'll have my smoothie or something in the morning. I'll come in and I'll make a list. First thing I do every morning mm-hmm. is make a list. Here's what I'm going to do today. Here's what I'm going to try to get to today. And then I go and go and go and go until, you know, until, to knock out as much of it as I can. If I don't knock it out all here, I might work an hour or two at home tonight to make that happen. My wife's an entrepreneur as well. So a lot of times we're sitting there watching Netflix. She's working on her thing. I'm working on mine, oh, okay. which really makes it, which is really amazing. Um, so other than that, it's just, you know, I don't really budget out like there's this amount of time for this project. And then I have to stop after an hour and 15 minutes. No, I don't, I don't build that. I don't build that type of stuff in. I just say, this has to be done. This has to be done. This has to be done. And then, you know, deadlines drive a lot of that stuff. But, Mm -hmm. but, but once again, it's, it's different from week to week, from day to day even. And, and I kind of like that. What is your wife's business? So my wife's name is Julie. She runs an Etsy shop called Tokyo Blossom Boutique. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a gifts, Christian, gifts for Christian ladies or Christian gifts for ladies. And um, she has an Etsy shop. It's, it's tokyoblossom.etsy.com. <laughs> Check it out. She's amazing. And then she also now has her first in-store kiosk. Uh, we live in Ackworth just outside of Woodstock. There's a uh-huh. place there called the Woodstock Market. And she has a kiosk there um, for her for her first time. She's been doing this thing for a while, trying to build up, trying to build up. And she got this incredible opportunity to do that. And, you know, now it's, you know, it's all in. And she's enjoying that and, and building it up and making some cool stuff. And um, I'm happy to be a part of that with her. Did you help with the design? Mm-hmm. Of, yeah, I, helped, yeah. I designed her logo. I think I did like four different logos for her over the course of, you know, however many years that, you know, we got this thing started. But the latest iteration, I think I did it uh, like four four years ago mm-hmm. and it's stuck and that's probably going to be her little, the logo for all time, which is really cool. What is, what makes a good design? Cause I can, I, something just subconsciously made me gravitate towards your work. As soon mm-hmm. as I saw it, I was like, Oh, that's cool. I want to see more. What, what is that? What makes a good, so what makes yeah. a good design? Um, it, it's kind of cool. It's, it's like some, some designs are received very poorly but they'll become famous over time or um you know for me the good design is is it is it does it is it simple is it to the point is it is it memorable that's the big thing memorable but not necessarily memorable because you know for for years the last couple of years you'd see you know the crossed arrows and hatchets and swords and all this antlers and craziness and, you know, back when sustainability was the thing, you know, back in from like 2007 to like 2009 or something, everything was green and leafy and stringy and whatnot. So it was memorable for that era. Mm. In my mind, it's something that is memorable, is something that's going to work from one era to the other and not be dependent on fads and trends, you know, going on at the time. You know, illustration styles come and go and change and everything. And in that, at that point, the subject matter a lot of times makes it very memorable. Um, but in the end, for me, it's good design. It's not, you know, you have to look at it objectively. You know, people come to people come to me and it's, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And I got to put my personal preference aside because for me, the idea is, does it do the job it's supposed to do? Yes or no? Hmm. Period. It's not a matter of if I like it or if that's what I would have done. They probably did it better than I could have done. 
so I have to, so I look at it objectively and say, yeah, this is, this is it. This looks beautiful, you know, or even if it's not the most beautiful thing to me, does it do the job it's supposed to do? Yes or no? Boom. So, you know, that, that's kind of how I look at it. For me, good design, you know, needs to do the job it's designed to do mm-hmm. and something that is going to last and something that folks can attach very well to a product, to a person, to a name. Um, you know, you look at designs such as, you know, you look at it, you see a green circle now, but a certain color green circle, it's Starbucks. You look at a certain color red circle, that's Coca-Cola, you know. So at that point, a color has become so integrated with that brand that now you can look at that and, and think that, you know. It's not just green, it's Starbucks green. It's not, you know, it's not, it's shell yellow, you know, mm-hmm. which is still one of the most, the shell, uh, you know, gas, you know, oil logo, still one of the most beautiful logos of all time. But, <clears throat> you know, a lot of times time will tell over, you know, whether something is going to really stay in kind of that public, in the forefront of public thinking. But for me, the idea is it needs to do the job it's supposed to do. So for somebody like me and a lot of my listeners are similar in that we're trying to be self-made and really kind of a DIY approach to just Mm -hmm. creating your own success. When it comes to design or identity, is it more effective to look at the trends and try to catch that wave or you try to almost go the opposite of the trend and then catch it? Well, do you want, I mean, do you want to, I mean, as a comedian, you know, as a comedian, you know, everybody has their own story. Everybody has their own outlook on life. Mm Mm-hmm. Why, in my mind, why would you want to lump yourself in there with everybody else's story? You know, and I'm not saying, you know, you have to you have to be this ultimate extreme from something else, but you stand out in your own way. Right. It's your story. Embrace it. Let it be a little funky and crazy and whatnot, because mm-hmm. you all tend to, do, you know, comedians <laughs> tend to do that type of stuff. <laughs> but, you know. That would be my bit. Y'all have mannerisms that are unique to you. You have stories. You have laughs that are, you know, comedians, some comedians have laughs that are unique to them mm-hmm. or a type of story or, you know, you look at somebody like Jim Gaffigan, you know, he'll step out. It's like he'll step outside of himself, you know, to comment on what's going on. Right. You know, but in his own way, nobody can do that. Nobody can do Jim Gaffigan like Jim Gaffigan, you know. Nobody can do Robin Williams like Robin Williams. Of course. Just unreal. But then you look at somebody like him and it's like, well, he went to Juilliard and he did all this kind of stuff. You don't really see Juilliard in what he does until you start to look closer. You know, you look at the the way he's able to do voices, the way he's able to do masks, the way he's able to, um, you know, really kind of put himself into that character you know, without having to change into a costume or anything like that, but mm-hmm. it's still uniquely him. So calling on those experiences, it's the same thing with me, same thing with design. It's the same thing with, um, you know, when you're trying to build your own thing, embrace your story, you know? So whether it's a DIY approach or something like that, you know, that's up to you. You know, I was talking with another guy, ironically, you know, I start to talk with one, one comedian and all of a sudden they start coming out of the woodwork. Interesting. So, you know, he was like, what do I do? And I'm like, well, first of all, you got kind of a cool name, so play around with that. You huh. know, what about, you know, you comment on these things, you know, make your own laugh meter. You know, it's like this is, you know, from one to, 
you know, do from like one to 13. You know, why does it have to be one to one to five or one to 10 or zero to 10 or whatnot? Do something weird. Do 13. It's an unlucky thing. It makes folks a little nervous from time to time. Why not do it? You know? And then you see like, okay, this guy, you know, tried to jump over this thing, jump over this pool. And, you know, he landed flat on his nuts on the other, on the corner of the pool. That's an 11, you know, and you would talk about that and then you would make your little laugh meter or something like that, you know? So it's his own, you know, and this is just stuff that I'm spitballing on, you know? So not just this visual thing, but the storytelling aspect to it as well. You know, how you are giving, when you're standing up on the stage like that, you are giving your people your point of view on the world. So your, I feel like your identity should be the same. I have been fortunate enough and as like with you and you're big on collaborations and using social media to connect with people, I've been able to do the same. Like this logo for the podcast was uh, made by a guy named Comedy Artwork who I just connected with him on social media <laughs> and we started working together. But he made this this avatar. Like I've been, I've, I've kind of made a pivot in my life as far as um, just going, what time do you need you got to land? No, I'm good. I'm good. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. So I've, I've kind of made a pivot. I was trying to build up the podcast and my own personal brand. So mm-hmm. now I've almost taken a step back, still doing the podcast, but putting all my energy into just building up Joel Byers and then letting that be the gravity for everything else I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So I have like this avatar, this face. Mm-hmm. That's like on my website and everything. That's kind of the central identity of everything I do and on social media as well. Mm-hmm. But now I'm looking to kind of build a world around that face. And I know you're huge into typography. And I, I would like almost like a, like a font, really. Like what, is, what, what makes a font good and as memorable as an actual logo? Um, typefaces and, and fonts in and of themselves kind of carry the gravity of when they were designed a lot of times. So something that was used on you know, military tins and ammo packs and stuff back in the day, it kind of carries that solid, hardworking kind of bit. And then you've got something like, uh, you know, maybe like Universe. It can be used very utilitarian. It can be used in an art museum. It can be used at a fancy restaurant. Same typeface, but just a a little different weight. You know, uh, certain scripts and everything like that. But what makes certain things memorable so to give you an idea, like the uh, like the FedEx logo, right? That was custom type, but what makes it like the the characters themselves by themselves are not that interesting to look at. They're you know if you know type design and stuff like that, maybe there's something there. But when they bring the E and the X together and make that arrow in the middle, yeah, a at negative that space. point that becomes iconic. The way they kind of the way they call it, they got the purple fed, and then you know the X is different colors for ground and freight and international and business and different things like that. At that point, that starts to become iconic. Mm. You see a what you see a white delivery truck, and more often than not, you're thinking FedEx more than you're thinking U.S. mail. You know, so it's not so much you know picking a typeface that is memorable, as much as you know there are things you can do to it to make it that way. Gotcha. If that makes sense. So you know, it just it also make it yours. On, yeah, but it also depends on how you use it, where you use it, how it's utilized, you know. Um, you know, like 
like this one. I did a I did a pennant, uh, made with soul pennant for switch yards um, mm-hmm. earlier this year, and this is completely custom typeface. This does not exist anywhere. Now, the only reason I built it this way is so it would work on a pennant. This won't work anywhere else. So I built this thing for that, but I'm not looking to make this piece of type memorable. I'm looking to make this design as a whole memorable and unique to switch yards. You know, the same mm-hmm. thing. Like I use three or four different typefaces with that logo, depending on where it's used, how I want to say logo? something. Yeah. Oh, the okay. logo will stay the same. The logo will absolutely stay the oh. same. But I get to play around with it. I mean, like, even the stars and stripes, like I did that to my logo for the Olympics last year. And now it's a t-shirt and it's a patch and it's a, you know, all kind of craziness. And, you know, you get to play around and have a little bit of fun with it. And, you know, I thought about that when I was designing it. You know, how is this thing going to look if I decide to mess around with colors and mess around with, you know, putting stuff inside of it? Okay. All of this stuff I think about when I'm designing a logo and especially something, you know, when it comes to my own personal brand. So that's that's what I was I have this I have this like logo as my face but then I was thinking yeah what to put around it I guess and I know around it or over it just to incorporate it over it you're saying get rid of the face <laughs> is what you're saying <laughs> it's big black x right over it it's like, I'm sorry nobody told you this uh <laughs> earlier you know but what is you know what is your distinguishing <laughs> you know what is your distinguishing characteristic you know you know, comb overs are, are kind of interesting these days. Not maybe, you know, <laughs> certain, you know, Beards. certain, you know, certain comb overs are like, you don't want to do that. You know, do I want to be known by a comb over? Well, you know, you know, maybe two years ago. Sure. Today, mm-hmm. not as much. Yeah. You know, so, and that's not a political thing. It's just, you know, hey, you know, whatever, <laughs> um, you know, beards, no, you know. Is it a certain type of thing? You know, mm-hmm. I why did I grow a beard? Because I didn't want to shave. Done. And right. then, you know, you keep anything for any length of time, it's going to become associated with you. So now people see me and they, they recognize the beard or they'll recognize, you know, a hat I'm wearing or something like that, you know, because I try to stay consistent with that. But I, but I didn't build a beard into my brand. People look at some of the stuff that I do and they recognize me either because of the work or because of how I got how I put myself out there on social media or just because I'm a really nice a nice guy that <laughs> has no qualms walking up and talking to somebody. It's so weird. You know, you see designers that are just incredible, talented people, but, you know, they got to be able to get out there and people to be able to, you know, to be able to talk to them. That for me, that's that's my thought on it, mm-hmm. you know. And that goes into how I get work that goes into, you know, who I talk to and whatnot. So, you know, I'm just, I just try to be available. And in that way, you know, like when we came, we came, uh, you know, when you walked in today, some, you know, somebody had come up to me, Hey, you designed the shirt. It came out last night. This looks amazing, you know, but they, they knew it was, they knew it was me, but they knew they could come up to me and talk to me about it. Yeah, You know, so knowing that the person is there is one thing, but knowing that you can walk up to them and have a conversation and that person will actually care what you're talking about. That's as much of a, that's as much of your brand as the t-shirts you wear or as your, your logo, 
you know, you yourself, your testimony, your character, that is as much of a part of your brand as, as anything you look at, um, Paul Rand designed the Enron logo. Um, when it was one of the last things he did, his gorgeous logo and the symbolism, the everything it is gorgeous, but that logo will be forever tainted by that company's character. So good design, bad design, whatever. If your character is crap, that's what it'll be. That's what that beautiful symbol will become known for. Well, you've dropped a lot of knowledge on this and I, uh, just in wrapping up, you know, you've been sharing a lot of your personal experience. You've been able to apply it to, I think how my listeners would digest it. Um, before we get out of here, is there anything else you want the world to know? Um, even any more specific advice on branding or just whatever, really? Well, here's, well, here's a good one. And this is, this I have, this I've learned over the course of the last, you know, really over the last nine years, four years ago, there was an eviction notice on my door. This hmm. is not something that anybody ever wants to see. You know, my son was six months old. You know, my wife and I have been married for four, you know, for four years. And it's just, this is never something you wanted to see. And if you want to kick in the nuts, that'll do it to you. Sitting there that night, packing up all of our stuff. We had to get out. We had to move back in with my parents you know, who lived locally. And Jeez. the fact that we were able to do that was amazing. And, you know, they helped us get back on our feet. But that was right after I started, came up with the idea of the studio. You know, all of these things were happening. Now, I, I still couldn't find a design job. I still couldn't do that. So I'm trying to make my own thing. So in the end, no matter what, no matter what I was going through at the time, I still had to put in the work. No matter who you are, what you've gone through, life will not give you a pass. There are no shortcuts to this thing, and I know that's been beaten to death, but there are no shortcuts in this field. There are no shortcuts in anything worth, in anything worth pursuing. So no matter what you've gone through, hardships, your family, physical, mental capabilities, and it sounds horrible, but it's true. You still have to put in the work. You're not going to get a pass on learning, you know, how to do good type, how to do good type or form or whatnot, or, you know, or, you know, you're not going to learn how to be funny. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, you can, you know, play around with stuff like that, but in the end you've, I mean, you're not going to just automatically learn it is, is what I meant. You're not going to yeah. automatically learn how to be funny. You've got to put in the work. No matter what you're going through, you still have to put in the work. That for me, that's been my biggest, that's been the biggest thing that I've really come to that realization and just standing up and saying, look, it is hard, it is rough, and some parts of it are just not fun. But as you know, you got to sit down and ask yourself, is it worth it? For me, it was. And now I'm, I'm sitting here in a, <laughs> sitting here in a studio and, you know, talking to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have to pay you to come out, which was cool. So, um, same. I didn't have to pay you either. Exactly. So that, you know, so you know, we're we're both at that point, I guess. Oh, I do have a water for you. I hey, meant to give you that at the beginning. There we go. Sorry, I we, could have used that like a half hour. I'm ago. sorry. I just realized you're like I didn't have to pay you. I was like, oh yeah, I always give guests a water. 
This is a Fontis water. It's a local uh, Georgia from the Blue Ridge Mountains. Huh. So that's for you, yeah. Hey, very cool. So we we collaborated up because I let's you know social media. It's a great way to connect people. That was mm-hmm. I was a fan of their work, and I'm a fan of water, which sounds weird, but I do. I am kind you of. You look like you drink a lot of water. I am. <laughs> I'm big on water, so it's just connecting with people with like-minded, yeah. I think, r- preferences. Yeah, and I think um, one of the one of the funniest things that I've one of the funniest things that I've ever heard. I have a pretty dry sense of humor. Mm-hmm. One of the funniest things I ever heard was, um, and I actually told this to a man who um, disrespects me uh, needlessly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I said, sir, it's people like you that give a bad name to people like you. <laughs> Rule of thumb, don't ever let that be said to you, you know? Yeah. Good advice. Work hard and don't be the person that gives a bad name to your person. Something Thanks. like that. Dude, Scott Fuller, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, if you guys want to uh, to follow along, yeah, if please. this yeah. if this wasn't enough for you, then uh, you can check me out uh, online, um, uh, thestudiotemporary.com for my design work. Um, if you want to follow along on Instagram uh, and Twitter, I'm at Studio Temporary. Um, if you're in town here in Atlanta um, or you're driving through, uh, my door is always open. So please feel free to stop by if you want to reach out, you know, you want to talk about a project or an idea or something crazy or grab a sandwich over at Rubens, you know, let me know, hit me up. Um, and then on, um, you know, other than that, oh, oh, that was the other thing. If you want to buy, I have some stuff, yeah. a little store online. If you want to buy, I've got shirts and patches and decals and uh, all kind of stuff. If you want to do that, that is the studio temporary dot big And, uh, you know, that's kind of it, you know, thanks Joel for, you know, for having me on. I appreciate it. I was surprised to get your, uh, you know, to get that, uh, message. I thought that was kind of cool, but, um, man, I appreciate it. This was fun. I, I like, Good. I like that it wasn't very structured and I don't mean that in an insulting way. I, I like that. I like off the top of my head, which, you know, which you folks tend to enjoy anyway. Of course. Yeah. So I, I very much enjoy the, it's kind of off the cuff, off the top of your head kind of, uh, kind of stuff. So thanks man for having me on. Uh, you're welcome anytime that I feel like it. And um, <laughs> there's that dry sense of humor. There you go. <laughs> Come on, I had to. I had to. And I, I don't have to. just anybody on here. I like to interview and really learn from people that are like have a great expertise and a great vision and just a, like you said, great character as well. So I, I appreciate you even I taking appreciate the time to do this. I know it's very valuable. Anytime, man. Anytime. Please, yeah. Everybody check him out too. This is um his design is insanely awesome and unique. And in like like in comedy and a comedian has his own voice. It seems like your your work also has its own voice, which I guess is hard to achieve just like in comedy. Well, I mean, you you look at people that you enjoy, you figure out how they kind of do what they do, and it, you you know, you it could be 50, 60, it could be 5 people that you that you kind of look at and then you sit down and you like how did they do this thing? You know, and and you study them. You want to study, you know, studying those successful people or even people that weren't as successful. Why weren't they? You know, but in the end, 
Your voice is your voice. Find it. Own it. Share it. Word up. Well, Scott Fuller, thank you for being on Hot Breath. Anytime, man. <laughs> I'll talk to you. I'll talk to y'all soon. Word up. Yes, hot brethren and sistren. I hope you learned a lot in this one. Please hang out with me for just another minute. If you enjoyed Scott, want to see his work, his site is linked in the show notes. There's also a link to our Patreon page in the show notes. I put about 10 hours into each of these episodes from start to finish, and I created the Patreon page to where you can get even more content, exclusive interviews I've done that I posted only there. I also post the show notes for my interviews as well. And some hot topics is what I call them. A lot of people ask me about the equipment I use, about how I research these people and learn so much about them. I dive into all those. Social media strategy. I dive into all those on there, and it's really a great way to interact and kind of takes you from a fly on the wall to a seat at the table is what I like to say. But it's really a great place for us to connect, and I really do appreciate your support. Even just a quick share of this would really go a long way. If you enjoy me on here, you can see me hosting comedy every Wednesday at Java Monkey in Decatur, Georgia. I would love to meet you there. If you're a comedian, hit me up about getting a spot as well. All social media is at Joel Byers Comedy. And let's let's interact. You know, this is called the Hot Breathiverse for a reason. I want to create a community here. And with your help, we can definitely do that. So thank you for your support. Thank you for your time. I have to thank my engineer, Amon Garner. He keeps these sounding crystal clear, putting them all together. He's worked on other podcasts as well. If you guys need some audio needs or even music produced, he's a dope talent. I love surrounding myself with dope people, and he is certainly one of them. And of course, the dopest, my wife, Erin Byers. She made the theme song, and she made me, and she made the end of all of my Hot Breath episodes now. For over a hundred, I've been thanking her. So... That's how you know it's the end of the episode. When I thank my wife, you're like, well, we got the important thing out of the way. Let's go ahead and land this plane. So I hope to see you soon. I'd love to interact with you and learn more about how I can make this better, how we can collaborate. I love this community, a.k.a. Hot Breath Averse. So anything I can do to help, please let me know. And now it's time to go. So until next Monday, right here on Hot Breath. <laughs>